All right. Thanks so much, Ben and Liz. Sorry about the mic drop. But, you know, after we worship, maybe we should drop the mic. Um, I'm really grateful for just this time at Renew has been in some ways really, really difficult, but in other ways really sweet as well. I was just reflecting with our staff this last uh, meeting on Tuesday about some of the good things that have come out of our church and some of the beauty that has come out of the hardship and you know, Renew's always kind of been known for community and friendship and the way we've cared about each other. I'm not sure if it's ever been more valuable than this season. And seeing the way that, you know, we've cooked food and brought it to each other's homes, all the opportunities to get together and work out, do devotionals every day, and the playing and uh, singing together and the small groups, I just really see maybe some of us come back and be a part of this community that we've, we've walked away from. Other people go deeper in relationship and, and value what we've always had, but sometimes it can feel cheap and it doesn't, it doesn't right now. I hope that maybe if you're just joining us online and stopping in on Sundays, that you would be a part of the sweetest part of our community, the way that we interact with each other every single day. And so go ahead and comment, go ahead and message me. And I love to plug you into our church. We have, we have small groups for every life stage, whether you're a youth person in, in junior high or high school, whether you're in college, young adult, whether you're married without kids or married with kids, we have a space for you to connect with each other and to connect with the Lord. And so I just want to invite you into that. And um, it's really an amazing, amazing group of people who know and love each other. And that's, that's my favorite part about Renew. Also, we are transitioning our giving to online. And so we have a slide where it gives you just two really simple ways to give. You could give texting over your phone or also over PayPal. And I think about three, four weeks ago, I came up and shared a little bit of my concern on the financial status of our church. A lot of the churches that I'm in fellowship with have seen giving drop down to 50%, are really concerned about salary and being able to continue to pay rent. But I'm just really grateful for all of you who have given generously to Renew. Almost everyone has moved from giving on Sundays to online and even just kind of glancing at our budget. We're pretty healthy right now. We're able to pay our bills. So I just want to thank all of you for um, being a part of that. All right, as we open the service uh, and sermon this morning, we do this opening question. All of our small groups are in watch parties, so we do some discussion over Zoom. But if you're just tuning in on Facebook Live, you could go ahead and put, uh, put the answers in the comment section as we take some time to think about these questions together. So what is the most significant or expensive gift that you've received or given? That's the first question. And second, what did that gift represent? So, yeah, I would love for you guys to put down some answers over the comment section if you're here with us on Facebook Live, or go ahead and share with your small groups. And I'll be up in four minutes, all right? We'll talk soon. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, putting your answers out there. For me, for sure, the most expensive gift was the wedding ring I bought, Nina. Uh, pretty much emptied out my bank account, sold all my stocks, went into credit card debt, and bought her a ring. And I think about what I'm asking with this ring, right? I'm asking this girl to spend the rest of my, her life with me. 
that's a big ask, especially if you know me. And then I set up a lot of really cool moments for us to be together so I could ask her this question. I um, call one of my friends. He's a spoken word poet, performed in front of Barack Obama, won a Grammy, just really famous. So he was doing an event. And so my game plan was to walk Nina into the audience, you know, hang out with her. Um, I, we lo I love spoken word and kind of get our friends to sneak in on the backside. And then he would invite us up. He has a poem about love that I love, about him meeting his wife and all that. And then he would give that spoken word and I would propose to her. And that didn't work out because my mission trip got delayed. So I had to come up with a whole new plan, which I was really depressed about. And, uh, but it worked out really well too. I, I walked Nina, or I had Nina's teacher. She was working at another church at the time as a children's pastor. So they blindfolded her and they said they wanted to surprise her for the retreat that she did. And they walk her into this dark room one of the classrooms and I had hung like little lights around the room to make it look like the night sky. It was better in my mind than in reality, but it was still really cool. And then I unblinded folded her, you know, I said sweet things. I set up a movie of like all our whole two and a half years together, watched her feet, very Christian thing to do proposed on one knee with a ring. And then when we walked outside, all her kids, she had about 100 uh, elementary school students that she was pastoring. They all had yellow balloons, which is her favorite color. And then they lined up into two lines and we ran through them and everyone cheered. And we were on this field outside of the school and we all let go of our balloons and like dolphins died that day. But it was an amazing moment. And she was so happy. She looked down her, on her ring. It was her dream. Uh, ring of course but I think about like what it would mean if I did something different let's say let's say I said hey Nina today's a special day I'm gonna take you to McDonald's but I don't want to spend over seven bucks so can we order off of the dollar menu we get 40 chicken McNuggets and go ham you know uh, get all the barbecue sauces you want I'll pay 10 cents each for those and then after we had some conversation I'm like babe you like me I like you. Let's get married. And I have a rubber band symbolizing a ring. All you have to do is twist it twice, and it fits perfectly. It's adjustable, you know? And uh, I think the way you approach someone speaks about who they are in your life. And if I were to approach you like that, what would I say? I would be saying, like, she's not worth much. She's not worth over $10. You know, I'm not asking her for anything. And she's not valuable. Right. That's what it would. That's what it would mean to her. And she would immediately dump me and go on to another guy, probably a doctor, probably wealthy, probably Korean. Anyways. Um, and and I think about all the people who approached Jesus, how they approached him and what they were saying about him. There are people who went to him with their sick because they saw him as a doctor. There are people who saw him as a teacher and went to him for questions. There are people who saw Jesus as an exorcist and went to him with their demons. There are people who saw him as an entertainer and went to him with, his, with their boredom. And then we see a woman named Mary see him and approach him in a totally different way. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26 Verse 6 to 13, we're just finishing up the book of Matthew. We've been on this journey for a few years now. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leopard, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar 
a very expensive perfume. This woman was Mary, the sister of Martha, and this alabaster jar held pure nar, which is the most expensive perfume you can buy, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. What a waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, the first thing we see is that worship is giving our whole life. Mary poured this alabaster jar of oil, of, uh, of pure nar on Jesus' head. It ran, it ran down his clothing, and then she washed his feet with her hair. It was an extravagant act of worship. During that time, putting oil or perfume on people's hair was pretty normative, especially to an honored guest. If you imagine they had poor hygiene, they couldn't bathe or shower every day. The sewage was always wreaking havoc. And so perfume was a very customonial way to cover up that smell. It was very pleasant to the, to the nose, especially in that time period. And so it was normative. If you're throwing a big party, if you have an honored guest, if it's an important ceremony that you put perfume on people's head or their skin so that they smell really good. Uh, me and Nina went to the Roman Colosseum and Interesting fact, when you watch the gladiators kill each other, all the seats are actually free and they were used as a promotional. So if you're running for politics, if you want to promote a big business, you invite everyone to watch famous gladiators fight and they just fill up the arena. But to spice up, you know, your event, you would offer free food and the highest level of that event, um, the people who are the richest would provide provide perfume or would provide incense so that the arena would smell really good instead of smell like blood and carcass. So that was, that was a thing. But what wasn't a thing was what Mary did. She used pure nar and she didn't drip it on him. She broke the alabaster jar in, in the J John account over his head without reservation, without holding back, and she poured this expensive perfume over his entire body. And this expensive nar is worth about a year's worth of wages, 300 denarii. A denarii is one day's worth of wage. So 300 denarii, if you take out weekends, is pretty much a whole year. What would it take for a woman like Mary to save up that much nar? To me, this was her life in a bottle. It was her past whether it was given to her as an inheritance or whether she worked in accumulation of years of babysitting, of fetching water, of, of field work in order to gather this, this, nar, uh, this bottle of nar. It's as good as a brick of gold. It's as expensive as a Rolex. It's, it's her savings, but it was also her future. 
It was all of her dreams, all of the markers of her life was going to be held in this bottle. As she walked down the aisle as a bride, she would use a, a big portion of that nar to fill the room with, with aroma coming off of her so that all the eyes and noses would be on her. It would be her wedding night. It would be to celebrate her firstborn and inviting all of her friends in. And, and this most expensive perfume would fill the room. Everyone knew how Nar smelled like. It was distinct. It was beautiful. You knew when it was this type of perfume. And when you think about this bottle, it held her hopes, her dreams, the most important moments of her life. And she was pouring her past and her future on Jesus. It was such an extravagant gift. But isn't this the way someone who knows who God is worships him with their life? Isn't this the way that a created being is in front of their creator on their knees? Worship is giving our whole life. And Mary gave her whole life in a bottle. I wonder when we approach Jesus, what are we saying about him? Is he just, is Jesus just a genie? Is Jesus a tool? Is Jesus a, a grandpa that we visit once in a while on Sunday mornings? Is Jesus just a friend? You know, Mary was probably one of Jesus' closest friends, but she never got complacent about that. She was willing to worship as a creation in front of their creator as a servant in front of her king. And when we think about all the ways we approach Jesus, is it in worship with our lives or is it just a physician, a teacher and a friend? When we worship with our lives, it looks entirely different. It's not a Sunday morning where we sing some songs. It's the way that we teach or heal and love the people we serve from, from nine to five. It's the way that we treat our children and teach them how to serve the Lord and exemplify that in front of them. It's the way that we give our time, our energy to the Lord. It's the way that we don't hold anything back, that nothing is in our hands. Every part of our life is held open before our King. It's the way that we constantly surrender instead of ask. I also see that worship reveals idolatry. And we talked about this last week, that the difference between the goats and the sheep wasn't necessarily what they did, but why they did it. The goats saw Jesus as another idol to be used. He's plastic, he's mute, and he doesn't have control over their lives. They want to be able to pick him up and place him wherever they want. And worship, true worship, reveals the idolatry of others. We see his disciples indignant, especially, especially Judas. When he, when he asks her to sell the perfume, he's thinking of stealing some of the money. And you see the next scene where, where Judas sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's the price of a slave. And that's how Judas saw Jesus. He was just someone to pedestal him, right? And when Jesus stopped being useful, when he kept talking about death, he got rid of him for the price of a slave. 
Mary worships him with his life. I wonder if, if true worship has revealed idolatry in our own heart. When we see people abandon their lives to Jesus, we look at our own life and we're like, man, I'm actually holding on to a few things. And we can be like Cain who hates Abel and kills him for worshiping properly before our king. Or we could take a look at our soul and say, maybe, maybe their worship shows me how to worship and shows me the areas of my life in which I am not worshiping. And I think when we worship properly, when we worship by surrendering our life, people are going to be indignant of us as well. Other Christians are going to be indignant about the way we worship. Why would you give God your life like that? Just give them Sundays, just give them Easter, just give them Christmas. People are going to look at us cross-eyed and sometimes that's how you know your God is real and you're worshiping him. You know, one of the hardest um, things for me to guard in my young adult life was um, sexual purity. And that's something that I didn't do perfectly. But I remember hanging out in uh, downtown LA. I don't do this often, right? But I was with all these beautiful people, these actors and actresses from a mutual friend. We're hanging out with them. And then everyone starts having conversations about sex and what they've done and how much they've done and all the nuances of sex. There's a lot. Um, and then it was my turn, right? It was like sharing time where you go clockwise. And they're like, so what have you done? And I said, hey, I'm actually saving my, I'm saving myself for my wife. What does that mean? Like they were just mind blown. Like that doesn't make sense. It's stupid. You probably, have, you know, couldn't do it if you wanted to. I mean, there was just all this like judgment, right? And, and I knew that this was a way I'm worshiping the Lord that will never make sense to a non-believer. And I wonder if we've allowed our whole life to worship God and it doesn't make sense. The way we manage our finances doesn't make sense. You know, what pictures we put or do not put on Instagram doesn't make sense. The way we use our language and speak to people, the way we notice someone that no one else notices doesn't make sense. The way we forgive doesn't make sense. Worship reveals idolatry. And I hope that the way we worship would reveal that our, we don't have to point it out. We don't have to do it in judgment. We're not calling them out. But when they see our life, when we see the life of Mary, we, we know whether Jesus is God and Savior or whether he's just an idol, something we want something, some, someone we want something from. Lastly, in verse 10, it says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it in preparation for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, really quickly, Jesus isn't diminishing the poor. He just talked about that in a previous sermon where the way we treat the poor is the way we treat Jesus. He elevates them. He's elevating Mary in an amazing way. And no one did this back in their day. Women were seen as second class. Jesus is moving her as a peer to the other disciples, as an example. 
And lastly, we see that Mary is anointing Jesus for burial, for the crucifixion. I, mm, and then it says that wherever the gospel is preached, she'll be remembered. Why is Mary remembered alongside of the gospel? That's a big statement throughout the world, throughout time. We are fulfilling the very prophecy of Jesus here, right? We're talking about Mary 2000 years later, outside of thousands of miles away from the Middle East. Why is Mary this significant that alongside of the gospel would come the story of Mary? I believe it's because this is what response to the gospel looks like. This is how we know we get it. This is how we know the significance of the moment, right? You, the woman will know if the man understands the significance of the moment by the way he approaches her when asking her to marry him. Mary understood the significance of the moment by the way she approaches Jesus. Do we, right? If we're just, if God's just someone we walk up to casu- casually, if so, God's someone we just think about on the side, if God is someone we're apathetic about, do we get it? Do we get the gospel that God loves us? God of the universe, holding that in his hands, holding time in his hands, wants a relationship with us. Do we get it? What this is saying, I believe, is that Mary gets it. And when you get it, you look like Mary. You worship like Mary. You pour your life at the feet of Jesus like Mary does. And if you're not doing that, maybe you don't get it. Maybe God loves you as just a t-shirt. Maybe Jesus died for you as just a bumper sticker. Mary never saw it like that. She pours out her life in front of the Lord. And then we see her understand something that no one else does. I think it's a limited knowledge, but perfectly prophetic. Before this passage, Jesus says, I'm going to die this weekend. It's a shocking statement to his disciples. They hate it when he says this. Peter wants to rebuke him again, but he called, God called Satan, so he's not saying anything. But they hate it, right? It's, it's traumatic. If I were to say, hey, guys, I love you. It's been great pastoring renew, but I'm going to be dead, like, in a few days, probably ex- electrocuted um, on death row. It's a shocking statement. And Jesus kept saying this. And they fought it. The disciples fought it. The chief priests are plotting for it in verse one and two. And then Judas helps them do it right at the next chapter, the next section. So this is almost like a comic relief in a high tension moment, right? If you watch a good film, high tension, they give the audience a break and then they move back to the, to the conflict. Jesus is moving next scene to the Last Supper where he talks about a disciple betraying him. He sweats blood at the garden of Gethsemane, and then he goes to the cross. His disciples fight him. The chief priests are plotting against him. And then you have this really sacred moment of one person who embraces the death of Christ. She doesn't understand it fully, but she understands it enough to anoint him and to prepare him for his death. 
And then we see all the disciples desert him. And then Mary walks alongside of Jesus. Maybe through swollen eyes, filled with tears, he can see her figure and the other woman weeping with him. Maybe along the sweat and blood that he shed, there would be the scent of gnar still in, hanging in his hair. Maybe Jesus goes to the cross with the why clinging to his skin with gnar and at times in front of his vision. I think her story sits alongside of the gospel because we're supposed to see the cross through the eyes of Mary. We're supposed to experience Calvary like she does with this deep sense of intimacy and pain and worship. What she does is repeated for 2000 years on Good Friday. How she worships we do on Ash Wednesday as we, as we grieve and fast in, as Calvary comes in sight. And I think Jesus is saying that that's the proper response to the moment. Have we been responding to Jesus properly? We're going to be walking through Calvary to the crucifixion resurrection. And I believe the call is to be Mary. She is a significant character here. She gets it before anyone else does. We're, I think we're supposed to see the cross through her lens, through her emotions, through her love and worship. And then she's the first person Jesus reveals himself to. When he comes back to life, she, he sees her first. She hugs him and he's like, oh, I can't really do that. Glorified body, human body. Maybe you're going to melt. Go tell the disciples about me. But that's a big deal. There's something about who Mary is that is right. And we're supposed to do that too. You know, I, I, just, I just wonder if the way we worship, the way we approach Jesus is worthy of him. The way we see the cross is intimate like Mary. How did he see, how did she see Jesus as he's carrying the cross? How did he look at her in those moments? It's hard to articulate, but there is this interaction between Jesus and Mary during Calvary that is to be Jesus and, and me, Jesus and you. This exchange of worship and sacrifice, this, this grief and hope, this deep intimacy and a pouring out of life that as Jesus sheds his blood for us, we are to give our life to him. What other response is there? God, I pray that this morning we would 
think about the way we've been approaching you. And stand in, and have that stand next to Mary, who got it. She understood the gospel. And if we get it, we would do what she does. Help us to get it this morning. You know, you're, you're not just a cartoon character on a childhood children's book. You're not just a genie to call out for when we need you. You're not just a friend. You died on the cross for us. The God who sits on the throne in the heavens, judging all of humanity with angels surrounding him, dies on the cross for us. And I pray that we would hold you the way Mary understood you that she anointed you as king and then prepared you for burial and on her knees worshiped you. And I pray that we would get all of you too. And it would, and it would require of us our whole life, our whole love, our whole future, our whole past, our whole, our whole soul. How else would it make sense? What other response would feel different than McDonald's with a rubber band? God, I pray that we would get this moment and that we would worship you and make a decision to give our lives to you. You know, I wonder for some of us, maybe we... Maybe we understand in this moment that we never got it. Like we never really got it. That Jesus, the way we walk up to him is casual, hands in our pocket, really entitled about us. And this morning, maybe this morning, we're like, man, we need, I need to respond to Jesus like Mary. Surrendering my life to him and moving into intimacy and getting the cross, getting that the cross was for me. I want to give you an opportunity to respond in prayer. And I think about, you know, when I gave my marriage vows to Nina, it was this one moment that dictated my whole life. But all the other moments, I mean the same things. Like I'm affirming my vow with every year that goes by, whether in word or in deed. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, would you also affirm your vow to the Lord this morning that Jesus isn't just a healer or an entertainer or a teacher, that he's this king who loves you and died for you? I would love to lead you in this simple prayer. And if you mean it, mean it with the rest of your life. Is that kind of a decision. It's to stand in front of your wife and tell her that you'll be with her and you won't cheat on her that for the rest of your life. That's what receiving Christ looks like. So if it was just a prayer for you in college, that's, that's not good enough. It's a covenant. It's a vow. It's a decision that you make daily. Would you make it again today or would you make it for the first time? Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. This morning, I give you my whole life. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. When I falter, forgive me, but help me to continue to make the decision of you being king and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a time of communion, really representing everything we talked about today. Ben's going to give me my communion. Thanks, Ben. Oh, yeah, social distancing. And um, as we take communion this morning, we, we, we look at the grape juice that represents his blood and the, the, the bread that represents his body, broken for us, shed for us, and we look at it and we relive it the way Mary did. It was intimate. It was for us. And we take it in worship this morning. Let's take communion together. Amen. I invite um, Ben and Liz to lead us in worship. Thank you so much, Ben and Liz. Really appreciate um, just worshiping this morning with you. Um, yeah, God, we just ask that your name would be glorified the, in the way that is proper to who you are. Help us, Lord, to just kind of sit back and remember that you are God and this God died for us. And what that really means, like, make that new to us again. Help us to discover that for the first time again and to respond that way, I, I think about me and Nina, we were like seven years in and maybe there's times where I just kind of get used to this amazing woman and I can just take her for granted and I can just approach her with such, without the same awe that I felt that first day. And that's why we try to just kind of relive those first moments. And I pray that this would be one of those first moments again where you remember and it's new, the God of the universe loves you. He sent his son to die for you, that you would see it through the eyes of Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.